If you would, open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4, we are concluding our sermon series in the book of Ruth this week. We will start Jonah in two weeks. Ruth chapter 4, that is on page uh, 128 on your pew Bible. Let me encourage you to grab one of those, open it up, and keep it open. Romans 8.28 is a very popular and important verse in Scripture talking about how God works all things for the good of those who love Him. Here's the question, what does that look like at times in life? Ruth, the whole story, but particularly in verse 4, is certainly a picture of that for this particular situation. Oftentimes we cannot see all that God is or has been or will do, but we know that it is true that he is at work. Ruth, (laughs) chapter 4, we will read the whole chapter. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said to him, turn aside, friend, sit down here. He turned aside and sat down, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, Tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take the right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this is the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal And then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife, 
And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is worth more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, who was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, not Salmon. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, come now before you as those who maybe our week has just been full of the acknowledgement of our sin and suffering we come to you looking for hope looking for redemption looking for someone who is bigger than ourselves and father this is a beautiful text a text that we might underestimate at first look but when we see what you are saying about yourself in your word, may we be amazed at our relentless Redeemer. And we ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. The late Hoover Adams was working at his hometown newspaper, the Dunn Dispatch in Dunn, North Carolina. But then in 1950, his father-in-law encouraged him to start his own paper, and so with $15,000 from his wife's father, Hoover and Malescent Adams printed the first edition of the Daily Record on December 6, 1950. Today, that paper reaches an average of 7,739 people in print and more than 20,000 readers each week online. That's interesting for a town that only has 8,500 people. It has over a 100% reading rate, and it startled people, and they asked the question, why? How is it the case? This is the motto of their paper. Names, names, names. Because if your name is in the paper, you're going to read it. We love being remembered. We love when our names are mentioned. And at the same time, we fear, greatly fear being forgotten. Certainly that is why death is very worrisome to us because death is when we are essentially being ready to be forgotten. We long for redemption. We long to be forever remembered. But oftentimes our life circumstances make us feel forgotten and rejected. And we begin to ask questions like this. I wonder if you've been here. Does God even care? Will God remember us? 
Will God remember his promises? The fear of being forgotten makes us feel like we're walking on eggshells in life. And we're so afraid of doing something that would cause us to be forgotten. But here's the hard truth. Inevitably, all of us in our sin, we deserve the place of being eternally forgotten. So the question comes to this. Can anyone redeem us from the mess of our own making? Can anyone redeem us from the mess of our own making? You see, what we learn from Scripture is this. It is not just that we find a God who is ready to redeem a sinful people, but we find a God who is a relentless redeemer. That God is more eager to redeem you and me than we are ready to believe that he is ready. God is more eager to redeem you and I And we are eager to believe it. And in the book of Ruth, the whole story as it culminates here is a sign and picture of our relentless Redeemer. Go back to verse 1. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and he sat down there and behold the Redeemer. You'll see this word used a lot in this section. Matter of fact, it is used 21 times in 10 verses. Okay. I think God's trying to tell us something. Because whenever you see a word in a section of scripture at least three times, then it's, it's a major theme, let alone 21 times in 10 verses. What does a redeemer mean? It means someone who has the authority and ability to lay claim to someone as their possession. What does it mean to be redeemed? It means when we find ourselves with no hope because of the decisions we've made, but then someone rescues us. That's what that word means. But here's what we see about Boaz. Here's what we see about even our, our Redeemer is that he wastes no time. Our Redeemer wastes no time to accomplish our salvation. If you actually look back at chapter 3, verse 18, you see that Naomi responds to Ruth and says, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And the way that the scripture is written is that when it says, now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, it's actually saying that Boaz did not waste any time. He went immediately. It was gonna be that day that he was gonna redeem their situation. You see, we, (laughs) we often feel like God's slow that we often feel like we're more willing to be redeemed than God is willing to redeem us. But my friends, God wastes no time. And especially when you do not see God at work, the scriptures proclaim that he is. Boaz wastes no time. It says that when he had gone up to the gate and sat down there, it actually means the place where the city business would take place. The gate would be the place of, uh, remember, you got to think about the city being walled in. And so everyone who would go out into the field would have to pass through the city gate. So that's where you saw everyone. That's where the city business would take place. And that is often where the legal business would take place. So that's where Boaz goes. And when it says he sat down, here's what's interesting. The people 
It wasn't just like, oh, here comes Boaz and he just sat down on a rock. What it means to sit down, it means to take a posture of legal business. Here's what's awesome. The Greek translation of this word is the same word used for Jesus when it says that he sat down at the right hand of the Father after making atonement where he intercedes for us. You see, our Redeemer will waste no time. And even and especially when we do not see him at work, he is at work. Amen? It's interesting the way that the scripture is written. Actually, Naomi and Ruth, they, they, they kind of leave the scene for a little bit. They're remembered, but they're not doing the actions here. They're passive. The focus goes to Boaz. The focus is on him and his work on their behalf. And my friends, that's exactly what the work of redemption is for us. We live in a day where we long to contribute something to God saving us. That is naturally what sinful people do. But the Bible declares that we did nothing to contribute to our salvation. We were like Ruth and Naomi and we sat back passively as our true Boaz went to redeem us. You see, this is what Boaz is doing. He is representing them. He is seeking for them, not merely for himself. And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. What does it mean to become a Christian? How does one become a Christian? You do not become a Christian by you working yourself up for it. Even the very faith that you have to trust Jesus is a faith given to you by the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus Christ does the work of redemption. He is the one who accomplishes it, and then he applies it to us. It is all by grace. <laughs> but here we see the next part. Look at verse 1. I love how Scripture is written here. And behold, in other words, look at this. The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. Now, you, you can't really see it here, but in the Hebrew, it actually talks about this guy it uses this Hebrew idiom that maybe our best translation would be Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It's called Mr. So-and-so. Here's what one person says. The author goes to some length to not give his name. It is interesting here, though, that as we see someone who was so protective over his own inheritance that we are reminded of what Jesus says in Mark 8.36 when he says for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul it is important for us to remember in our day and age of celebrity culture to remember what will it profit us to gain the whole world knowing our name if God does not One thing we need to see here about God is this. When it says, and behold, it is absolutely pointing to the sovereignty of God. My friends, this was not random. 
many things in our life might feel like a coincidence. It might feel like, wow, I can't believe this timing. But God is sovereign over the greatest and the least. That when Boaz sat down, God was ordering all things and all people to go according to his plan. And it was interesting because Boaz is probably not sitting very long before Mr. So-and-so walks up. Here's one thing we need to know about God. God's watch is neither too slow nor too fast. It is always on time. God is not like me, where if I'm going to take my child to see Dr. Smalley, Dr. Smalley can pretty much guarantee that I will be five minutes late. Because I have a problem with that. RUF students can testify to that too. But God is never late. And he is never early. And my friends, you must always remember that because you might be facing situations or you have faced situations or you will face situations where you will feel like if God does not come through for me now, then he never will. And you can't bind God to that. Because God is sovereign and he knows the best way to bring about redemption. See, God loves to bring about his timing and his way, and we can trust that he is neither too fast nor too slow. <laughs> we do see here our Redeemer, he wastes no effort. Notice the action that Boaz takes. He initiates the conversation with Mr. So-and-so. He gathers the elders and sits them down, and Mr. So-and-so is just passive in every way. Boaz brings up the two-part deal here. He says, look, there's this piece of land. You can buy it. You can take it. Mr. So-and-so gets excited because it would add to his kingdom. It would make his name great. But then he hears about redeeming Ruth and perpetuating the name. And he says... No thanks, I'm good on my own. I don't want that to mess up my inheritance. See, here's one thing we see about Boaz, and we need to remember about our God, is that Boaz never forgot the person amidst the problem. My friends, God does not forget you, even with your sin and your suffering. He always remembers you. See, oftentimes, we often forget about the person, but we love to solve the problem. But when we forget the person just to solve the problem, it shows that we don't really love the person, we just love our name. You see, Mr. So-and-so, what we see here is that he is just like everyone else in the time of the judges. He is trying to establish himself as king. He's only looking out for himself, as one person says. In other words, Mr. So-and-so was only interested in ministry to the poor if there was a payoff for himself and his family. But costly ministry? Without any personal payoff? Forget about it. It is helpful as we think about a time of transition in this church as we are seeking to build ministry. It is very important for all of us to remember, are we going to minister to people for our name 
or for their name. You see, ironically, what we see throughout Scripture is that self-obsession makes us blind to what it means to really be remembered. In a day and age when we're all trying to seek our own name, our own legacy, we just want to get that blue verified check mark by our name on social media. And the irony is that everyone is so self-obsessed, and here's what we see on social media, how many of us are building our own towers of Babel. And we're missing the God who redeems us. You see, actually, what Boaz is doing is that he is living self-sacrificially so that he can redeem Ruth and Naomi. He wastes no opportunities. You see this interesting sandal ceremony. It was a custom of the day. Now, before you might think about how this is odd or, you know, well, this shows the Bible is outdated. Uh, let's be honest about maybe how future generations might look at us for Groundhog Day. Um, there are many customs in different ages and different peoples that are customs for that day. Here was <clears throat> this particular custom that it actually would have shamed Mr. So-and-so and given honor to Boaz. You see that after this ceremony is, is held, that the elders, they, they bless Boaz. Look at verse 9. Boaz said to the elders, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon. I have bought this day, to, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Here's how they respond. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. Boaz is praised because he is a relentless redeemer. When it says that they bless him, that his house or that uh, Ruth might be like Rachel and Leah, it is a reminder of Jacob. And remember, Jacob, his name was changed to what? Israel. Because he's the father of Israel. So as they are saying, may you be like Rachel and Leah through Ruth. Remember, Ruth is a what? Moabite. But now what they're saying is this. Her true identity is now part of God's people. And that's exactly what happens to you and me when we are saved. We are no longer defined by our sins, even though our sins certainly are with us throughout this life until glory. But we are no longer defined by our sins. We are defined by Christ in our union with him. Amen? But then interestingly, they also say, 
May, may your house be like Tamar and Judah, which, by the way, is not the most fa- family-friendly story. But Jesus would come from this line. David would come from this line. My friends, what it shows here is this. Is that God can use the worst sinners in the worst situations to bring about salvation. God can redeem any situation, even the most furthest off ones. Your worst failure, your worst sin, or the worst thing that someone has ever done to you. God is a redeeming God. Amen? It's amazing because we see here that uh, Ruth... (laughs) who was known for so long as the Moabite that now she belongs. My friends, I wonder if we are a church that when any sinner repents and believes in Jesus Christ, are we a church that shows them that they belong? This is what the church should show because Jesus himself shows this. You see, the summary here of this massive first section that I'm looking at is this, is that redemption is accomplished. Redemption from famine, redemption from guilt and shame and bitterness and heartache, loneliness, widowhood, childlessness, and poverty. So my friends, do you believe that God can redeem your situation? Maybe we are like Naomi And we don't expect this particular way, but God will always bring about his way, and his way is the best way. Maybe you need to be challenged this morning because you have been expecting a redemption that is actually not biblical. And you need to be reminded that If God loves you, he's going to do all that it takes to bring you to himself. And everything physical, circumstantial, relational, or any of those other things, God is using for the main purpose, as our catechism says, that you might glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is what we call worldview. The way that you will interpret your life and every circumstance in your life that happens you know that based on this text, God will do all things to bring you to himself despite our sin. Amen? That's our God. He not only accomplishes redemption, he applies it. Look at verse 13. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. We see now that Our Redeemer, he applies redemption. Boaz does not just accomplish it, but now he actually follows through. He takes Ruth to be his wife. See the beauties here of of how glorious marriage is and Boaz bringing Ruth to be his covenant spouse. That even there would be redemption here. But there would even be redemption, particularly for, in this situation, for Ruth and having a child. Notice that, actually, in the beginning, we know that Ruth was married to Malon for 10 years, and she never had a child. But now, 
God, as part of his plan of redemption, which is part of the grand narrative of how he's going to bring about his Savior, God opens up her womb. This is a theme all throughout the Bible about how people who can't bring about their own salvation, God does. We saw this with Abraham's wife, Sarah. We saw this uh, with Rachel herself, uh, with Jacob. We obviously see this with Mary. See, actually, whenever we see someone who, in Scripture, who has not been able to give birth, and then when they give birth, it should be like the, the light bulb goes off of saying, God's about to do something. But now let me, say, let me say something here to make sure this is clear. This does not mean, this does not mean that if you can't have children, that you are somehow, dear believer, that you're somehow under God's wrath. It does not mean that. We do live in a fallen, in what we, in the true sense of the term, a broken world. And unfortunately, that is a pain of life. And some of you know that all too well, whether miscarriages or the death of a child even after birth or not just being able to bear children. But it does not mean, dear believer, it does not mean that you are under God's wrath. Jesus was under God's wrath. Do you hear me? But it does mean this. Maybe the Lord will provide for you to have children, but even if he doesn't, remember what we said earlier. God will use childbearing and childlessness in your life. He will use it all to bring you to himself. Please refrain from comparing and contrasting yourselves to other people. And you look to the Lord Jesus, and you trust that what he has for you in this situation, he has for you right now. He knows what he's doing. He is a good savior. And he's the one who took God's wrath. Rest in that. But we do see something here that's very amazing. Look at verse 12. It says that because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. That word offspring in the Hebrew is the same word in Genesis 3.15. When after the fall, God is bringing down his curse, and he starts with Eve, and as he's pronouncing the curse upon Eve, in the curse he gives the promise of salvation. And he says, there will be a seed and offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. Don't miss what's going on here. God is bringing about the Redeemer here. This is the snake crusher. This is the one who will make all things right. This is the one who will truly be the child of Abraham, who will have the best faith, who will be circumcised, as it were, towards God. He will be the one who fulfills the law of Moses. He will be the greater king than David, and he will be the one who brings in the new covenant. That Jesus Christ here from a Moabite. This is who he comes from. My friends, if you think that God can't redeem you in your sin and your suffering, then may I just gently challenge you? Believe Scripture instead. 
There is no sin and there is no consequence of sin. Whether sin that you have done or sin that someone has horrifically done to you, there is nothing beyond God's redemption for you. Because that's the only business that God is in. <laughs> Our great Redeemer applies redemption to us. He even does so in the family as he, you see in verse 16, then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. Don't you see Naomi, she goes from Mara, meaning bitterness, she goes back to being Naomi, meaning pleasant. Isn't that awesome? Even redemption can happen in the family. Redemption can also happen in the society. You see, actually, the women who originally, when Naomi came back from, from Moab, do you remember they were gossiping? Okay, now what are the women doing? Now they're blessing. See, God knows how to bring about his redemption. And he knows how to bring about his redemption in bringing the greater son of David. Isn't it interesting that to bring about David, who would be the greatest king of Old Testament Israel, that he did, God did not wait until the times of Israel were good and that they had it all together and that it was easy. He did it in the time of the judges when they didn't want God. That actually rings a bell, doesn't it? Romans 5. When did Christ die for us? When we were godly? Nope. When we were ungodly. When we were strong? Nope. When we were weak. When we were friends? Nope. When we were enemies. When we were righteous? Nope. When we were sinners. My friends, the only people who God redeems are the ones who are most hopeless. And what this is, what this is speaking to you, and if I can say this, what it is speaking to us as a church is that no matter how low life gets, there is a Redeemer who gets as low and lower than us to bring us up. You see, well, actually, when you turn to Matthew 1, I would encourage you to do that sometime later today. <laughs> Just read through that genealogy. Because, by the way, uh, Boaz, did you know that he came from Rahab? in Joshua, and Rahab was a very good, upstanding woman. She was a prostitute. Just go look through Matthew chapter 1, and just, just ask yourself, how many good people are in this? None. Welcome to the club. Because the only types of people Jesus saves are sinners. That's our God who can apply redemption. We have a God who accomplishes redemption. We have a God who applies redemption. And because that is the case, my friends, redemption needs to be anticipated by us. Because he accomplished it, because he applies it, we need to anticipate it. Here is what we can take away from this. God is always at work, especially when we least expect it. Amen? Have you seen the old, older video? I won't say old because I might date some people. Um, 
<laughs> it is an older video. Uh, it's, it's, it's a video about selective attention. And it's a group of people, and they have a basketball, and they're walking around in a circle, and they kind of toss it to each other. And as you're watching this, there is someone in a gorilla costume that just walks straight through, beats his chest, and then walks off. But actually, the, as the experiment goes, when you first watch the video, you don't even see it because you're so focused on how many times are they passing the ball. The whole experiment was to show that actually we, we, when we select something to pay attention to, we can often ignore other things that are going on. This is why we need to understand as a church what it means to go on a grace hunt and a sin hunt. I love using hunt because I'm from Alabama. And whenever you go hunting, that's why you don't put a G on the end, it's hunting. Um, when you go mud riding, it's mudding. Um, speaking of someone from a, who has a sedan, so I have no clue what I'm talking about. But when you go hunting, I do know about this. It is silent. And as you're looking out in that field when you're hunting for deer, every little rustle of a leaf, you're just looking and looking and looking, and you're waiting to see, is something going to pop out from behind that tree? But my friends, if you're not careful... And if you get distracted while you're hunting, you can be looking at something maybe on your phone and you look up and all of a sudden there are three doe in the field. And you think, how did they get there? Because we weren't paying attention. My friends, when we go on either a sin hunt or a grace hunt, we pay attention only to those things. Here's what we tend to do in our unbelief. We only go on a sin hunt. And we tend to only focus on the ways we or others have sinned and we only place blame there. Or we only think about the ways in which God hasn't come through for us yet or other people have let us down. We tend to play the victim-only mindset or the sinner-only mindset. But my friends, that's not the whole story. You're, you're telling half of a story if you only stop with sin. You have to also tell the story of grace. Because if this is God's church... If we are God's people, then God is always at work, especially when we least expect it. Amen? That is who he is. It is interesting the way the book of Ruth is written. It is written at the very beginning, it says, the Lord visited his people with famine. And then it ends the book saying, the Lord gave Ruth conception. It bookends the book of Ruth with God's action, and then it seems silent in the end. That's exactly what life feels like. You go through seasons where you believe in the Lord and it, it seems as if the Lord's everywhere and he's gripped you and you're so sensitive to the truth. But then you go through seasons where it seems like he's away. But my friends, it is especially in those seasons where you must remember that just because you do not feel him being present, you must remember he is always Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. He's always Emmanuel exactly what happened on the cross see it was at the cross when the father turned the midday sky he turned it completely black because it was at that time just like it was in the ten plagues in Egypt when God turned the sky black at midday and then he poured out his wrath upon those who did not have the blood of the Passover lamb above their doorposts 
That is what was happening on the cross. My friends, if God poured out his wrath upon his son, then now that we're united to his son, do you think that all of a sudden he's going to say, well, Jesus wasn't enough, now you need some. But how often do some of us live that way? We live thinking that, well, we need to go through this personal purgatory right now on earth until Jesus just really gets my life straight. My friends, first off, there's no such thing as purgatory. Second off, Jesus already took the wrath of God. He was the Passover lamb. God is always at work in your life, especially when you least expect it. You see, we also need to realize that because God is always at work, we need to remember that he is even at work, especially when we sin against him. There's a, the late preacher, Haddon Robinson. He used to be in a gang and a legit gang, a gang where he and his gang members would, they would go out and rob people and kill people. One of the times when they were going to go hit up this other, I guess, local gang, they had gathered some of them to meet before they were going to go out, and a cop had come up on them and busted them up. And as the cop was trying to catch them, they were running away. The only one he could grab was Haddon Robinson. It's interesting and tragic that as the rest of those guys, instead of coming back for Haddon, they actually still went to go hit up this other gang. And when they did so, they all got killed. But God used that situation for Haddon Robinson to break him and actually lead to his conversion where he became one of the most influential preachers in America in our time. A gang member? My friends, the only types of people God uses are sinners. The only types of people God makes holy are the ones who have not been holy. God is always at work even when we sin against him, even with the consequences. His love is always upon you in Jesus Christ. And you can trust that. <laughs> I remember... When I was at the Patriots in 2014, for the first several weeks, uh, I had a name that was not my own name, and it was a name that was filled with several uh, bad words. And if you were one of the guys on the lowest of the totem pole, you would just be called by your number or one of those bad word names. But then the longer I was there, here's what was actually very fascinating is that actually believe it or not, it was Tom Brady, uh, gave me a nickname. And it's funny because everyone around the locker room actually knew me as this nickname. It was Doogie from the show Doogie Hauser. I think just because I was, frankly, just a small white guy. But here's what was interesting. I was so known as Doogie that Julian Edelman, he goes back to California during the break, and someone from Tulane, which is where I went to undergrad, Someone saw him out, and they came up to him. They said, hey, do you know Wilson Van Hooser? And he's like, who? Started talking to him. They're like, yeah, you know, small white guy. You know, there's not many of us. Um, and so he goes, do you mean Doogie? Yeah, I know Doogie. And I remember when he came back and told me that story, and I remember thinking, like, that's pretty awesome. 
You see, we love it when our names are remembered, right? And we love it when our names are remembered by people who we hold in very high regard. But my friends, how much higher, as it were, is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And my friends, either your name is written in the book of life in heaven or it is not. And because Romans 8 can happen, that God will work all things, even the hard things and the difficult things, He will work all things for our good, it is because, as Jesus says in Luke 10, 20, rejoice because your names are written in heaven. My friends, this is a God who, when you come to Him, He redeems you out of any situation you might find yourself in, and your name is for sure written in the book of life and you will always be remembered for eternity believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved let's pray Heavenly Father we're asking that in this time you would seal this truth upon our hearts you have proclaimed your word to us and we are asking that you grant us the faith to believe it be with us now as we go to the time of the supper that we might believe that your word is true that we might examine our hearts Lord, we thank you for these gifts. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.